Hi folks, and welcome to Behind the Shelf with Pima County Public Library. Behind the Shelf with Pima County Public Library is a podcast providing a broadly informative and entertaining look at happenings at the library, in our Pima County community, and beyond. An array of staff members share interviews, musings, reviews, and of course, the very stuff of libraries, information. Join us every two weeks as we dive into the wide world of libraries, including, but not limited to, collections, programs, and services at PCPL, all presented with a healthy dose of nerding out. Subjects covered in the first season include the Seed Library, Parenting, Anti-Racism, the Library Collection, Local Music, The Book Bike, and more. My name is Brian Schnecke. I'm here today with episode one of Behind the Shelf with Pima County Public Library. In today's podcast, we will talk with Justine Hernandez and Karen Green about the Seed Library and Book Bike, and we will introduce an ongoing segment, Dewey Deserol, also known as Dewey Decimal Roulette, hosted by John Munoz. John? Thank you, Brian. Yes, exploration lies at the heart of Dewey Deserol, exploring the depths of human knowledge in your public library's nonfiction collection. Each segment, Brian and I randomly generate a number between 000 and 999, the same range as Dewey Decimal. With that call number each segment, we dive into a serendipitous subject with both hope and abandon. Tune in, join the expedition. Thanks, John. First up is Justine Hernandez and Karen Green. Justine started the Seed Library and Karen started the Book Bike. We are coming up on the 10th anniversary of both those services, which launched at the same time in January of 2012. They've become cornerstones, I feel like, of Pima County Public Library service. They've become uh, important parts of what we offer the community. And we're going to catch up with the, what would I say, originators? Founders. The founders of the... Instigators. Instigators. Troublemakers. The rabble-rousers mm-hmm. of both the Seed Library and the Book Bike. So our first question, we're going to start with Karen. It's a two-part question. What gave you the idea to start the Book Bike service here at Pima County Public Library? And uh, why did you think it might be a good fit here at the Pima County Public Library? So thanks, Brian. So happy to be here. I'm a great copier of other folks. So there was a guy, Gabe Levinson, in Chicago. He had a book bike there. He just did it on his own. He was in the park in Chicago, and he got arrested because he didn't have a permit to be with a book bike giving away free books. And the Chicago Public Library were like, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. So they kind of adopted him. He wasn't part of their program, but they kind of said, he's, he's part of us, even though he wasn't necessarily. And I was like, I want to do that. And so then I looked into it and it's like, jump through this hoop and this hoop and this hoop and this brick wall. And so I kind of was like, oh, I've got other stuff to do. And I put it on the back burner. And then at the book festival, Mia Burke wrote a book called Joyride. She was the bike ped coordinator in Portland, Oregon. If you've ever been to Portland, Oregon, and you like to walk or ride a bike, she's the one that made it so fabulous. And her book was really inspirational. So I said to myself, I want to do something. I want to be Mia Burke, but I can't be Mia Burke because she already exists. And so I just said, I want to do something great with bikes in Tucson that makes a difference. And I remember the book bike, and I'm like, this is it. 
So I was really hoping that PCPO would go for it because otherwise it'd be out of my backyard and my shed would be filled with books. Um, but luckily, PCPO went for it. And so we've been running the book bike service ever since. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad you brought the service to Pima County Public Library. Justine, what gave you the idea to start the Seed Library? And, and you know, why did you think it might be a good fit? Yeah, it's kind of fun to share the story. I think kind of like Karen, this idea was not something that just kind of magically came to me. It was something that had already kind of been transpiring in the community. But there really was kind of like this confluence of stuff happening right around that time. And one was like hearing an NPR interview with Barry Easterbrook, who wrote this book on tomato farmers in uh, Florida. And I really glommed on to him talking about how the foods that we were getting in the grocery stores were sort of nutritionally bereft. They looked pretty fantastic, but like as far as getting your nutrients from them any longer, like forget about it, you know. And tomatoes actually are kind of like that thing that we all have some sort of memory of what it should taste like, or even if we've never actually eaten a really good tomato, it's in our DNA. We're like, no, it's got to be spectacular. So that was that. It was like, oh my God, our food sucks. We're get The stuff that we're getting sucks. And I was also doing some outreach for the library. I was working at the El Rio Library at the time, and the Santa Cruz River Farmer's Market was happening right across the street in a little vacant lot, and that was run by the Farmer's Market. And I was totally jazzed by that market in particular because unlike the one up in the, kind of in the foothills there at the St. Philip's Plaza, this one really kind of its intention was to provide food to people who were living in food deserts and uh, to make it more accessible. So there was kind of that happening, like looking at making things accessible and also thinking about the things that we're getting. You know, when we are thinking we're getting nutritional foods is not doesn't have the same kind of nutritional value and we're kind of sort of like going down this kind of ugly road with our food system. And so at that farmer's market also, I met somebody who said, hey, you're a librarian. Have you ever heard of this thing called seed libraries? And I had no clue what the heck a seed library was. And we chatted about it a little bit. She said, yeah, it's this way you, sh you share seeds. You keep seeds and you exchange seeds and people plant them and then return them. And it's just this whole beautiful community thing. And that was super exciting. And so I kind of started exploring it some more and reached out to some of the people in our library system who encouraged me, who kind of had the power to like give me permission to explore it even further. And they did. And, you know, we sort of talked a lot about why in the library, why not somebody else like a community food bank or master gardeners, people who are, you know, in the plant field. But it really was about kind of the library's mission and vision sort of changes in language over time, but it's kind of essentially the same thing, and it's really about empowering healthy communities and shared resources, you know, sort of this democratization of resources. And so it just seemed like a really lovely fit for that reason, and because we do have such a reach in our community, too, because we serve such a diverse community that we could really, through the library in particular, reach a lot of folks. So that was kind of where our origin story started. And we had a director at the time who was like, tell me more, how do we make it happen? And that was very exciting, you know? Yeah, that, I mean, I, again, I recall when both services were launched nearly 10 years ago, and I was excited about each. We'll start with Justine this time. What kind of work went into implementing the Seed Library? Oh my gosh, <laughs> a lot. Some groundwork had been laid, but not really like sort of what we, where we ended up going, but we definitely had 
a little bit of a roadmap. So just reaching out to the existing seed libraries. We were lucky to have a world-famous seed conservation you know, organization here in town, Native Seed Search, who really helped us and then also put us in touch with a lot of other folks who were doing this, definitely on a different scale and kind of definitely through different types of organizations. So it was just kind of doing recon and then also thinking about how the heck do we make this work in our library system that was as big as it was. And so having an incredible group of colleagues who were as jazzed as I was to be a part of this. And, you know, I mean, a lot of those folks are still part of the Seed Library today, which is really exciting and kind of making it what it is today, so. Nice. As far as implementing the Seed Library here at Pima County Public Library, did you have any ideas about doing anything different from other library systems or from other Seed Libraries you had already seen, you know, other libraries that had similar services in place? Did, were you, you know, was there anything uh, specific about your launch that was different? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think where we differ is one that we're a part of a county library system, so we're serving nearly like a million folks and parts of our community in both urban and rural settings. And how do we get these seeds to folks? And so our library has already implemented a holds system. And so we realized that's how we would have to kind of make that work for us as well. And so we definitely took the lead on that for libraries. I mean, we are the kind of first library to have it part of the integrated into the inter, the ILS. And ILS is our catalog. Our catalog, yeah, sorry. <laughs> stupid librarian no speak, have it integrated into our library system so it's cataloged and is reservable for folks. So I think that's one of the most significant things that sets us apart from other libraries. Since we've brought our seeds into our catalog, do you know other library systems done similar things since? There have been, and we got a chance to kind of visit and help mentor some. We were part of a conference and then visited some folks in Nebraska and kind of helped them and have... Um, you know, mentored other folks, and those folks have mentored other folks. So yeah, I think it's definitely become more of a trend that that's how it works for a lot of library systems. One more question for Justine before we hear from Karen. It occurs to me some of our listeners might not know exactly what the service is. What are you, what does the Seed Library provide to our patrons? And the Seed Library provides seeds at its very basic, and they're seeds for things that you would want to plant to eat in your home gardens, or even things that you would want to plant to, you know, kind of beautify your space or attract pollinators into your garden. So we also have things for flowers and herbs, and most of them are annuals, but some of them are things that are, you know, perennial, so things that kind of exist year-round. And ideally, you know, the way it can continue to grow and be a really community-supported thing is if we're not only borrowing the seeds, but we're returning seeds back so that the next season's growers can um, plant from those. And that has a lot of different meaning. You know, that's really good because it's just about sharing and a shared resource. But it also, because we live in such a dry, hot climate, as we're doing that, we're kind of creating seeds that um, are more hardy, you know. So that's important, too. I know we often have patrons come in and, and they're worried that if they don't return seeds, they're going to have some sort of fine or something. So if they borrow the seeds, there's no requirement of any kind. Absolutely not. No requirement. I mean, it's it's pretty lovely that they are kind of participating in that way as well. So just by planting them. Yeah. Thank you. Karen, What? How, how did the work that went into implementing the book bite go? What sort? Uh, what kind of work did that take to get that off the ground? Well, I don't have any kids, 
but it took nine months. So from the start <laughs> to when we do our first book bike event. So there, there you go. Um, I'm friends with Kylie Walzak and Troy Neiman, and they're really involved in the bike community in Tucson. So when I decided I wanted to do this, I knew that I needed to talk to them and say, hey, what do you think? And they both thought it was good. And I'm like, yeah, so how do we get one of these things built? And they knew someone who built custom bikes. And so I went and talked with this guy and boy, his plan was beautiful. And he was going to use like airplane wood and it was going to cost like 10,000 bucks. (laughs) And I just thought, ah. And uh, so at the very last minute, I thought, well, let me find out. Let me get in touch with the guy that built the one for Dave Levinson in Chicago and see how much that cost. And it was less than half the cost. And so at the very last minute, I changed my presentation to the library's um, administration. And so even though I wanted to go local, cost-wise, we, it just made sense to go with this um, with this other company. So I'm very much a get-your-ducks-in-a-row kind of person. So I had already been talking to various library administrators that I knew. So by the time I made the presentation, the only person that really hadn't heard the presentation was this library director who very much was a go forth, let's figure it out kind of person. So I also had partnered up with Matt Zoll, who at the time was the Pima County bike ped coordinator. So one of the concerns was who's riding this thing? Like, we don't have enough libraries to, you know, there's not, even though I've really wanted to be the book bike librarian, and that was my full-time job. (laughs) But I knew that we were going to need more people, and even having the library staff that had already expressed interest, I knew we would still need more people. And so there was a program called Bike Ambassadors. These were contract employees with the bike ped program. And when I talked to Matt Zoll, he's like, oh, yeah this makes sense for these bike ambassadors to also help you with the book bike. And he had money. So the two of us made the pitch to library administration. So having another county department on board was really helpful. And having someone that was going to offer money to help pay for the bodies, the support that way, really helped. And then from that point, then while the book bike was being built, just started talking with various, I kind of had a little group and we came up with ideas and thinking about community partners and where the book bike would go and how this would work. And then I started getting the volunteers. So I wanted to have everything in place. Once the book bike came, it could get built and we could go out. And then I remember the the paper was, they did an article about it, but we didn't have the book bike yet. But I remember thinking, you know, you read, articles in the paper and then you look online and there's always like those negative comments and I was kind of nervous to read what the online comments were going to be. People were going to say, oh, this is so stupid and why is the library doing this? There was not one negative comment. Everyone just like, yeah, that makes sense. Going around on a bike, giving away books. Sure, that that makes sense. So even though we had the kickoff in January, 
our first event didn't happen until February, but it was a neighborhood block party that we brought the book bike to, and, and we've been going ever since. Woohoo! And as far as the implementation of the book bike here at Pima County Public Library, did you do anything? You know, you said there had been one in Chicago. Did you think of anything that you wanted specifically to do that was any different, or did you pretty much model it after existing services? We are the first. I mean, while Chicago said, oh, he's one of ours, it still wasn't a library program. There was one other book bike that existed in Indiana, I believe, and it was like one of the town city council person um, who had brought it together. And while they housed it at the library, it still wasn't a library program. So we actually were the first library program and because I'm a Luddite, no tech, zero tech. Analog. Analog. We are giving books away. I don't want you checking them out. And also because we were using non-library employees to go out, I didn't want running into issues of, oh, you have a fine on your account. You can't check out or you have too many books, you know, or you have over, like, I don't want any, that wasn't the point of, of this, to get into those kinds of conversations. The point was, Everyone sharing their love of books and reading. And so from the get-go, I just, that's what I wanted, and it was free. Like, everything that the library does is free. Fantastic. So both services were sort of trailblazing as far as uh, public libraries. Next question, Justine, can you please tell us about some highlights from the nearly 10 years we have been providing these services? Well, I think just the number of folks that we've reached, or I I guess it's hard to tell the the exact number, but in terms of how many seeds have been sown in the community, how many packets of seeds, you know, when we first started in 2012, you know, we've been keeping our statistics. First year, it was 6,400 packets of seeds, which was a pretty significant number. We were like super stoked on that. Then that next year, it nearly doubled. It was almost um, almost 12,000. And now we are up to, well, you know, 2020 was kind of a tough year because of the pandemic. Um, but in 2019, we circulated 33,000 plus packets of seeds. So that's a pretty phenomenal thing that we have been able to at least through either, you know, providing access to this and, you know, everything that we have are also heirloom or open pollinated seeds too. And I think that's really important. I mean, they are things that are kind of imbued with history and story and connection. And so that's a really exciting part that we get to be a part of that in our community together collectively. That's, that's awesome. 2019, you said was how many? 2019 was 33,320 packets. Woo-hoo. And of those, about 35% of those were from seeds that had been donated by community members. So things that people had saved and shared back with us. You know, we still supplement with seeds that we purchase or get through donations from seed companies. So to have that number be you know, a pretty significant amount beef of the community is pretty wonderful. Yeah, fantastic. And Karen, how about some highlights from, from the book bike service over 10 years? And also, maybe if you want to express, like Justine did, what exactly service does the book bike provide? Sure. So the book bike goes out on uh, monthly visits to a variety of places. We go to the Armory Park Senior Center. We go to Casa Maria Soup Kitchen. We go to the Eon LGBTQ Youth Lounge. We go to the Farmer's Market, the St. Chris Farmer's Market. And then in addition, so though we go there every month, 
among other places. And then we also go to special events. And essentially we show up, we open up the book bike, set up our books, and then just say, you know, like whoever's around, grab some books, see what you want. And then whoever's out there is also talking with folks about books and reading and various things like that. And so we always have two people go out on the book bike, whether it's a library staffer or a bike ambassador, and then a volunteer. So this is an opportunity for volunteers to be involved. And we've gotten a lot of folks that maybe wouldn't have thought about volunteering for the library, but because they like to ride bikes, they're like, oh, I like reading too. This would be a fun, okay, I'll volunteer for this. And so we definitely, that's been a great way to get more folks helping out the library and spread the word. And so what I love about the book bike is that, again, everyone loves it. So like while you're riding, people are waving to you and they're like, hey, there's a book bike. Can you ring the bell? And like, that's a lot of fun. And then once you get somewhere, you practically have to hold people off because you're like, wait till I set up my books. (laughs) Why don't you just do that first? And then it's just like, it's all fun. It's all really good. I really like the fact that So we are bringing books where people are at. So we're not saying, hey, you have to come here. We're going where you already are. And there's not a power differential. So you're not behind a desk where someone has to ask you a question, ask you for help. It's like, hey, we're, you know, we are equals here. I rode here by bike. And that's another piece to it is that I want to show. So when the book bike is filled, you can carry like 250 pounds and it doesn't, it's not that hard. I mean, I'm not riding up Mount Lemon on it, but it's not that hard. You can do it. If anyone, I am not a huge, you know, I ride a three speed. So like anyone can do this. And so I really like the fact that you can show people that bikes are a means of transportation that and plus you get some exercise at work and like, there's all these good things. I just really like this lack of power differential. It's very much, we're all on the same page here. And so we, so 2020 disrupted the plans. I was really hoping we were going to reach a hundred thousand books Uh, um, given away in our 10 years. We're at 92,231. I really was hoping that we would have passed a hundred thousand, but a hundred thousand books to the community almost at 90 some. Yeah, Yeah. that's yeah. Pretty incredible. And then just in terms of the numbers of people we've interacted with, we, I mean, and we're not like, we don't have a counter, like we kind of take some guesstimates, but over 75,000 people that we have had these interactions with that, you know, sometimes people come into the library, you don't have 100% positive interactions. You have 100% positive interactions when you go out with the book bike. As someone who takes the book bike out from time to time, I can attest to that. And just the when we're able to give books and, and kid, you know, we get a book in a kid's hands and he just he or she just lights up. Definitely job satisfaction. And when we're at an event, especially like at the Children's Museum or Cyclovia, we set up the blankets and then set up all the kids' books on the blankets. And then they're just like in it, <laughs> you know, and they're just... And parents or older siblings or whoever, they're reading stories to them. And it's just, it's fantastic. And then when a kid says, how many books can I take? And I'll say, as many as you're going to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, really? You know, it's just, it's, it's lovely. And I also like when you're at an event and a parent might have walked right by 
And the kid's like, look, books! <laughs> you know, I just, it's, yeah, everything about it makes my heart sing. Nice. So definitely lots of successes along the way, you know, the numbers of people we served. On the flip side, you know, what sort of difficulties uh, did you have along the way? And have you made some changes to the service? We'll start with Justine on this one. Was there anything that you learned along the way that... Well, I've got my list here. (laughs) Holy cow. I mean, we're still learning, you know, because we really are, in many ways, we were the first to do a lot of this stuff and so we are um we're using a system that's not designed for seeds and that's one of the challenges you know our our library's catalog system and the the whole process of checking in checking out and so you've got this goofy system of having a six-month due date so you can just delete them from people's records and just figuring out all of that sort of thing you know but one of the things that i think a challenge that was really kind of came to light but it it wasn't um, an insurmountable one because I think just like the book bike, um, you know, we have established these relationships in the community. And so when we closed our doors and we were limiting how people could access the library materials, what we saw in our community, which was really fantastic, was that there were all these people came together sort of these mutual aid sorts of communities. And so started reaching out to folks through those means to kind of get seeds out into the community. And kind of, I think that's given us something to think about as we go forward. And kind of like Karen has expressed, the real beauty of the book bike too is that there is not that power dynamic. And with the seed library, there still is, even though we also do outreach stuff and give seeds away, there is still that component that people have to come in. And just looking at sort of decentralizing things, kind of getting things out to the communities that can also then reach their communities, I think is a really interesting thing that we learned, you know, we kind of saw happen during the pandemic. And so I think that's something we are thinking about because even though I can point to these really lovely numbers, that there are still people being left out in that who could really use the seeds. And so how do we reach them? And I think, again, through these communities elsewhere, and then they can kind of decide how those get disseminated, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know we are trying to focus on access and, you know, increasing access at every level. Karen, how about you with the book bike? What difficulties did you have along the way and what changes have been made to the book bike service? Some of the difficulties involve some of the books that are the most popular. So we can't keep them in stock. I cannot keep enough cookbooks. I cannot keep enough books in Spanish. And so we've actually had at least two book drives very specific for those types of books. Because I hate going somewhere, like I'll go to the Armory Park Senior Center and there are a lot of folks that want cookbooks and I have five and I could really give away 50. And so it's always, if you weren't there the minute we got there, the books are gone. So that is a challenge. Another challenge is it's Tucson and our weather. So If you ride a bike regularly, you know you're riding in 100-degree weather. You're riding in 105-degree weather. Are you riding in 110-degree weather or hotter? Not anymore. (laughs) Um, Not the book bike, anyway. We did have to, over time, kind of change based on forecast if it was going to be. Because a lot of our rides are in the afternoon. The morning rides, they're fine. But... Three in the afternoon and it's 112 degrees and you're riding a bike that has 250 pounds of books. Maybe that's not the best thing. And then you're going to have to fill out that form. How could this accident have been prevented? And, <laughs> like, don't ride around in 112 degree weather. So um, 
again, it doesn't rain all that much here, but it is astounding <laughs> how often it would rain when you're supposed to go out with a book bike. Cyclopedia. Like, Cyclopedia. <laughs> well, once it snowed, like I actually still took it out and I had to put all my rain gear on. It was freezing. Like, yeah, Cyclovia is a great example of if you want it to rain, run a Cyclovia. <laughs> Um, so the, so the weather, and then the other piece is that over time, as much as folks love this, both staff and volunteers, life changes. And so you could have been gung ho and like, Hey, but then you got another job and the regular book bike run that you did, it doesn't fit your other job or, you know, you now have kids or you moved away or anything. So sometimes keeping the staffing, both volunteer and staff, is sometimes hard. And then if there's a, I hate to cancel a book bike run. So if someone, let's we say, know we're, how much they want their books <laughs> out there. So if someone got sick, which does happen, I am racing around the main library saying, "Hey, I'll take your desk hour if you are willing to go take the book bike out." And so sometimes that can be a challenge, but we get over it. And I know an, another change that has been made to that service is the size of the fleet. Yes, and that actually is a success I should have probably talked about, but we always take the book bike to the Festival of Books, to some Festival of Books, and one year there was someone who had been involved, kind of heavily involved with that festival. She saw the book bike. She mentioned it to her brother, who lived in California, and he somehow got it in his head that she was having a major birthday and they had an aunt that had some foundation to help kids. And so he got it in his head that for her birthday, they were gonna get us some more book bikes. <laughs> and so that was great, but then it was also like, they wanted to get us five more book bikes, which, you know, yes, that would be fabulous, but I'm trying to be realistic logistically, about logistically and what can we do and where would we house them and all of that. And then what I also had to help them realize is that it's great. We need the book bikes, but we also need the staffing. And so that original money that we were getting from the bike ped department went away. So what I had to say to this foundation was... Book bikes are great, but if I don't have funding to pay for staff to ride it, it doesn't do any good. So instead of five book bikes, I want two book bikes and a year's worth of funding to pay salaries. And it took a little bit of convincing, but they finally saw that this was. And so now, like, we have the thanks to the Miriam Brecker Foundation on the side of the book bike. So we do have three book bikes right now in different parts of the city. That's fantastic. The last question on this part is, Justine, you had mentioned the native seed search was helpful when we got started. Are there any other partnerships were you able to develop with local organizations through this service? Yeah, well, I mean, pretty much we owe the seed library's success really to other organizations that helped us from the very beginning. You know, we kind of had like um, meetings where folks from the Master Gardeners came, folks from the food banks, you know, Las Malpitas Farm. Well, actually, at the time, it wasn't Las Malpitas. I think it was the one that was at the center, the main um, 
Food Bank Center, we had people from the Tucson Organic Gardeners just to even talk about what does this look like and is this community kind of ripe for that. Um, once we got rolling, solidifying with the master gardeners, we'd already had programs in the library, but just kind of to then add on a component to talk about seed saving and also to kind of prepare themselves for us to, any questions we got, because we were certain people were going to come to us then, so we're providing seeds, does that mean we're like garden experts? Yeah. Heck no. Yeah. So, you know, just um, readying them to take those calls through their extension office. Um, and then, of course, working with Native Seed Search, which then put us in touch with other folks, the community gardens. You know, we started um, partnering with the mm. community gardens. And in fact, some of us had well, it, spaces you know, there. It, there's so. a lot. It seems like there's a lot of natural yeah, fits Yeah, sort of kind of all the usual suspects. Mm. And um, even the International Rescue Committee, you know, working with them because they started having some community gardens and, yeah, so a number of folks. How about you, Karen? Any, uh, what kind of partnerships were you able to make? So you talked about the, you know, Pima County Bicycle Program and any other partnerships you were able to make through the book bike? Sure. There are, uh, we're a lot more informal in our partnerships. So, of course, all of the agencies and organizations that we make monthly visits with but then informally, so for example, Living Streets Alliance runs Ciclovia, and the book bike wants to go, and we don't necessarily have to do the whole formal application process. It's like, hey, we're just going to set up shop. Is that all right? <laughs> we're just going to find a little niche, and we're going to set up shop so we can do that. And then Bikus, in terms of, I have had various folks that are involved with Bikus who also have been bike ambassadors. And while the Pima County Bike Peg program doesn't exist in the same way, there is a new organization in town called the Power of the Pedal. And so that organization is the one that is running the Bike Ambassador program. So we have partnered with them to continue the Bike Ambassador program for this. And, you know, things have changed. Like, we thought when we started, we would partner with Literacy Connects because they their building used to be over by Hummel Park, and they would have classes there. So what better thing to show up and have books for students in their literacy adult literacy classes? But it kind of didn't work after a while because, A, we were interrupting their classes. I mean, they have a lot of stuff to do. Not that anyone doesn't want free books, but it just didn't work. And so that was kind of one of the, and not to say that because I have had those connections, then I have been partnering with Literacy Connects with other things that right. I've done with the library. So, so good came out of it, but it was, not, it was not necessarily the fit for the book bike. And there are organizations that contact us. So the Juneteenth Festival, mm -hmm. they contact us every year to say, hey, can you bring the book bike to our festival? All right, this is the last question for both of you. I guess we'll start with Karen, we'll switch it up. As you approach the 10th anniversary, what does the future hold for the book bike? What do you think's gonna happen down the line? Well, I've stated this from the beginning, world domination by book bike. <laughs> that's true. my goal, like that's, that's it. World <laughs> domination by book bike. We were the first, there's now over 100. Nice. They're around the world. There is a Facebook page called Biking Librarians Facebook page. We get contacted all the time from other libraries who are like, hey, how do you do this book bike thing? So I think I don't see it changing so much here in Tucson, but in this bigger global picture, that's where I see most of the um, changes coming. I mean, yes, 
if I could figure out the funding to make it so that my full-time job was riding the book bike, like, sure, but... I think I have to win the lottery. <laughs> so I, I'm not I'm not there yet. I just have to play the lottery first. And I will say even some partnerships. So I forgot about this partnership, and it's huge. The Lions Club. I don't even remember how it got started. One of my volunteers suggested to me, you know, when we've gone to the senior center, people have said that they either need large print or they can't see the books, they need reading glasses. And he goes, the Lions Club has reading glasses. And so I said, you're right, let's get in touch with them. And so we have partnered with the Lions Club to give away reading glasses on the book bike, which has then transformed into giving reading glasses away in the libraries, which has also transformed to now I am a member of the Lions Club, and they donate books to the book bike, and I run their vision screening program. So, like, all of this stuff can just happen because one... So, I don't know. Some volunteer down the road might say, hey, why don't we do X? And I'll say, why not? Let's try it. Awesome. And... Justine, how about you? What do you think uh, is, is down the line, on, down the pike, what is that, uh, for the seed library? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that we would like to see happen is that there are seed libraries in every location, that it is seen as a, a service of the public library and not specific to a location. I mean, even though folks can place seeds on hold and have them sent to their library locations. Yeah, it's people want to kind of browse and... How many libraries are we in presently? Brian, I think it's like 11. And some of those are still kind of just in sort of very nascent, like they have little, they don't have permanent setups, but it's just kind of exploring, seeing that there was an interest in those communities and an interest on the part of the staff there to have them. So that is ideal. And also really, you know, I'm at a branch where we have little um, outdoor container gardens, and I know a number of other branches are, and I would love to see more of that at the libraries so that they can sort of serve as demonstration spaces And just, they're always just a point of really wonderful contact. I mean, here at Maine, too, um, you know, I know we tried the food stuff, which wasn't as successful. But even, again, just kind of planting anything is really important. So I think that's something we would like to see happen. then, of course, just growing our community of seed savers. I think it's kind of a scary kind of boogeyman sort of thing for a lot of people, even people who have been longtime gardeners. And so it's just, because, I mean, I see it, I love it personally. It's like this time to kind of just learn, and you, you might get it wrong, but it just is like an invitation to observe and play and just discovery, you know, and so just kind of trying to encourage that with more folks, you know. Awesome. I want to thank both of you for coming in, Justine and Karen. I I also want to say I started at Pima County Public Library right around 10 years ago. And um, I remember specifically the launch of the book bike and the launch of the C Library. And as a new librarian in the system, I want to say you two individuals were personally a great inspiration for me. Um, yeah, I mean, this uh, the idea for this podcast. I mean, I don't. I think seeing you guys implement those programs kind of gave me some confidence to try to implement services as well. So this podcast may not have been happening without being inspired by those two programs that you just guys to kind of created. stretch ourselves a little yeah. bit in the library. The library is clearly more than just books and. And more than just computers now, you know. It's bikes, it's seeds, it's podcasts. podcasts. 
And uh, it was wonderful catching up with you two, and, and I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you, thank Brian. you. I appreciate it so much. And Great Karen, fun. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Brian, Karen, and Justine. That was a great interview. Wait a second, who am I? This is Arturo, your friendly neighborhood podcast editor. So what's next? That's right, it's Dewey Deserol with Brian and John. Hello, podcast listeners, intrepid library patrons. We are here to introduce a new segment today. It has the unlikely name of Dewey Decimal Roulette. With me right now is my colleague from the Oro Valley Library, John Munoz. Woo-hoo! John, we got a new segment. What is this new segment all about? Yeah, thank you, Brian. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, in essence, this segment is going to be a daring dive. That's right, a daring dive right into the very depths of human knowledge and exploration, in essence. That's what Dewey Decimal Roulette is. Exploring not a place, but a thing. And the thing that we're going to explore is the library's nonfiction collection. What's the ins and outs of the Dewey Decimal System? How does that work? Yeah, you know, just like it sounds, decimal, it's based on tens. So it's zero to nine, over and over and over again, never getting down to true zero, no zero, zero, zeros. Or if there are zero, zero, zeros, there's zero, zero, zero point some right. decimal number. And it goes all the way up to 999. 999.99. And then they might go decimal. So gotcha. there's going to be some variance. You know, obviously, we're going to get the first biggest three numbers, you know, of the subject. The hundreds and, the hundreds are, are the big subject areas. Sure. We can even, uh, we'll, we can even let, let you know here at home, the, the zeros, the 000, zero, zero through 099, that's computer science information in yeah. general works. Right. 100s, philosophy, psychology, 200s, religion, 300s, social sciences, 400s, language, 500s for science, 600s for technology, 700 for arts and recreation, 800 for literature, and 900 for history and geography. And then it breaks down. Um, in the tens, and then all the way down to the ones. So we don't know exactly what we're going to get. We don't know what we'll get, but but by the time we get to the ones, it'll be pretty pretty specific, pretty pretty nitty, narrow. Pretty. Yes, a very very distinct slice of the Dewey verse. Of the Dewey verse. Now yes. we are we are a Dewey verse library here, Dewey yes, Decimal Library. What we are. Uh, what what other options do libraries have to choose from? Might might another sure. library be using a different system? And if oh, so, yeah. what system? Right. I've heard that like university or research library. They really enjoy Library of Congress. And I'm told that archives are individual. Sometimes an archivist will make a classification system just for their subject, because if their subject is someone like Mo Udall, then that would be you know, the 300s for political science and then dot, 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 and you get into, it gets weird. uh, So if it's only Mo Udall, then you want to make a Mo Udall classification system. Right, so they create a system that serves serves best for what they're studying. Right. I know uh, before... I came to Pima County Public Library, the previous system I was in in New York State, they used kind of the bookstore model of subject oh. headings. And I'll tell you, right. I wasn't a fan personally. Mm. I'm, I'm happy to be back to the Dewey Decimal System <laughs> myself. Yeah, like it or love it, it's here to stay, at least for us for now. So that accounts for the Dewey Decimal in the Dewey Decimal Roulette name. But what are we referring to when we talk about Dewey Decimal Roulette? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I imagine like a lot of people, Brian, back when you were a kid in elementary school, you were in a classroom. They probably had a globe. 
And all you kids would spin the globe and close your eyes and slow down that spin with your finger. And wherever it stopped and your finger was, that's where you had to live for the rest of your life. Or that's where you had to go and get a job. Or that's where you had to go on vacation. Kind of random. Completely random. Serendipity. Accidental discoveries or unintended assignments. And that's the premise of this. Although it's a lot cheaper to actually explore the nonfiction collection uh, rather than traveling to these places. So how are we going to do the roulette? What kind of mechanics are we, are we going to use to generate these numbers? Are we going to get some kind of app? How are we going to discover our, our random Dewey Decimal numbers? Right, yeah. So I decided to go completely old school with this. We're going back to 1975. We're going back to Gary Gygax and a bunch of nerds sitting around a table. So we're talking about dice, the kind of dice that you would use in D&D. And this is a 10-sided die. I've got three of them. They've got different colors. I guess technically they're pentagonal trapezohedrons. We're going to roll those, and we're going to roll them once. And, you know, not only is this going to be analog, this random generation of number, but so is our nonfiction collection, although I will be looking at the digital contents of our nonfiction collection as well in all languages. We're ready to uh, discover what our first three numbers will be that will result in our Dewey Decimal number. The color green here green for this. First, this will be the hundreds. We're going to be in the Ooh, 900s of the, 900s. the Dewey Decimals. That right. will be history and geography. We okay. know this much. Excellent. We're Committed not going to, that. to specify further with our <laughs> tens. Yes, bear in mind that, yeah, Dewey Decimal is all zeros to nines. So, you know, this these die are perfect for it. They go from zero to, to nine. So we're going to do the second one. And then this is the second number. Nine five, the nine fifties. What are the nine fifties? Looks 50s? like we're going to be in the history of Asia. Oh, okay. Looks as though Excellent. we'll be diving into Asian history with our first foray into Dewey Decimal. Nine five five. We are now. We are getting right down to specifics, right down to the very heart of what John will be diving into in our Dewey Decimal. Very uh, collection. Interesting. He is, so he is. I'm. I'm not going to lie. He is cheating to discover. <laughs> he, we don't know nine five five off the no, top of our head, even though we're both. We know it now. We now do know it. Yeah. It's, which what, what is nine five five? It's the history of the Arabian Peninsula. Oh, I'm man. thinking of you know. Uh, well, all I know from my perspective is somebody as someone you know who watches movies. So I remember yeah. Lawrence of Arabia, yeah, uh, Peter O'Toole in that classic iconic movie, and. Uh, there's a lot more to the history of the Arabian Peninsula, I would assume. Well, you will find out. I will I, find out. I, I suppose. Well, this is very exciting. I'm, one. I'm, and I got to tell you, this reminds me a little bit of uh, Around the World in 80s Days. Do you yeah. remember that? Do you remember that yeah. movie with, uh, with David Niven? Yeah. I mean, they literally, you know, I don't think they were spinning a globe right. to determine where he would go. He was just making He's the just, boast uh, that he could go all the way around. Yeah. My boast is that I can do nothing but wholeheartedly dive into this one subject, this very narrow slice of nonfiction, go completely fanboy. I'm probably going to order a T-shirt, Brian, <laughs> and wear, wear you know a hat that says, I love this topic, 955, going to get a tattoo later on. I look forward to it. 955, 900, history and geography, 950, history of Asia, 955, History of the Arabian Peninsula. That is correct. Next time on this podcast, Brian, I look forward to reporting out to you and everybody else listening on what I've discovered. John, we look forward to that and uh, good luck in, in your foray. You're going to find out all we need to know and more about the history 
of the Arabian Peninsula. Indeed. I appreciate it, John. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. All right. Take care. That wraps up episode one of Behind the Shelf with Pima County Public Library. We had a lovely conversation with Karen and Justine about the Seed Library and Book Bike. We were introduced to Dewey Desserole with John Munoz. Thanks for listening.